Girl Camper is sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Get an RV policy quote by calling 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or going to progressive.com backslash RV. And go Little Guy Worldwide, whose full line of lightweight camping trailers are Girl Camper favorites. Hello, my name is Janine Pettit, and I'm a girl camper. I go places and I do things in my little 1966 Go Tag Along vintage travel trailer. Along the way, I meet many interesting people traveling the back roads, and I want to share their stories with you. We will talk about the qualities of what makes a girl camper and how you can become a girl camper too. The girl campers are having a party, and you're invited. Stay tuned while I share what's happening on the back roads of America the Beautiful. Welcome. I'm Janine Pettit, Girl Camping Ambassador, Blogger, Adventurist, and Podcaster. And this is episode number 40 of Girl Camper, the podcast. Well, on this week's show, our topic is Reducing the Chances of Trailer Theft. All too often I see on social media a request to share a picture from a heartbroken trailer owner of their beloved trailer and the details of the theft. Most times there's very little to go on. They just woke up and it wasn't in the driveway any longer. I'm going to share some tips on how you can reduce the chances of that happening to you. I'm also going to be talking about grilling the perfect steak, girl camper style. Each week we talk about what it means to camp like a girl. And one of the qualities of a girl camper is their commitment to good food while camping. Last year, we perfected cast iron pizza. This season, we're cracking the code on that all-American favorite, steak. I'll take mine medium rare, please. We'll be back in a minute with that and more girl camper news. Camper News Roundup is sponsored by our friends at Progressive Insurance. For many of you, your weekends are spent on the road. Feel confident knowing that with Progressive's 24-7 roadside assistance, you're never going to be stranded. In fact, I think this is incredible, but Progressive will tow your RV and your vehicle, even if your vehicle isn't insured with them. (laughs) I mean, that's a pretty good deal, right? So peace of mind is the first thing you want to pack when you're camping. So head on over to Progressive.com backslash RV today and see what you can do to give yourself a little peace of mind on the road. Our news roundup today is all about upcoming travels. So I'm on my way to Blackwater Falls again. (laughs) I'm heading back to Davis, West Virginia because... I was so 
um, just enchanted by that park. And I have to go to West Virginia for the Camper College, which is coming up July 15th in Huntington, West Virginia. Now that's Western West Virginia. And Davis, where Blackwater Falls State Park is, is Eastern West Virginia. So I just had it in my head. I was at um, Blackwater Falls two times in the last six months. And I just walked around that park thinking, the thing I always think when I'm on vacation without my husband and kids, wouldn't the kids love this? Wouldn't Rick love this? So I asked my husband if he would like to accompany me on this little uh, road trip I'm taking. And my husband is a landscape painter. So a friend of mine, V, who lives in West Virginia and frequently paints at Davis, uh, in Davis at Blackwater Falls State Park, is meeting us there. And we're going to have a plein air painting session, which means it's a fancy French word for paint outside. <laughs> So my husband's bringing his oils and his easel and he's going to park himself outside. And this ought to be interesting because he's always paints in a studio and I'm always trying to get him to paint outside. So he's going to try it. He's done it in workshops once or twice. But so we're taking a little artist vacation. I'm going to bring my watercolors and we're just going to spend a couple days at that beautiful park. I really want my husband to see all those waterfalls. It's so pretty there. So we're heading over there for a couple of days. And then I'm off to Tearstock to see all my tab friends. So, so many girl campers have bought tab trailers. <laughs> so we had a new one. So I want to give a little shout out to Deborah, who came home yesterday with her new red and white tab. Deborah was at our Camp Like a Girl event in Davis, West Virginia, when Chris Baum, the COO of Little Guy Worldwide, came out and talked to everybody. She was so impressed with that trailer that she sold her little trailer that she had. She had a little A-frame. And yesterday, she posted online that she got her tab home. And she might come out to Tearstock. She might swing by because she lives not far from there. So I want to congratulate you, Deborah, on your new trailer. I can't wait to see it. And I can't wait to see all my tab friends at Tearstock. I'm heading out there Wednesday, Thursday. And then on Friday morning, I'm heading down to Huntington, West Virginia, to Setzer's World of Camping. And I'm really excited about this Camper College. I'm always excited about Camper College. But the whole idea, again, behind Camper College is just giving women an opportunity and men. Because I encourage you to bring your Mr. Sister, your significant other, whoever it is that gives you confidence to make purchases and dream dreams and do the things you want to do. So you can come out to that. It's not too late. And we are having a Camp Like a Girl event attached to this. So after Camper College is over on Friday evening, we're all heading out to a nearby campground just five or six miles away, and we're going to camp like girls all weekend long. We're going to have a lot of fun. My husband has to keep a low profile <laughs> because it's not really a Mr. Sister trip, but it's too far for him to go home. And plus, I don't want to drive home by myself on Sunday. So I'm heading out there, and that's going to be a fun week of camping. And it's going to be the first um, time we've really had the camper out for a significant amount of time. We've gone for three or four weekend trips in the new camper, but we're going to be gone for eight days. So this ought to be interesting. I hope our children feed the dogs while we're gone. But it's going to be um, 
Good for us to figure out storage. I think you need to be in the trailer a little while to figure out how it works for you. It's sort of like having a new house, you know. You know, you have to rearrange your furniture a couple times before you feel settled in. But so we're going to use the trailer for eight days in a row. And I think we're going to solve some problems or make some adjustments while we're out there doing that. So I'm looking forward to all that and talk about that next week when we come home, all the fun we had at Tearstock. I'm really, I'm so excited about Tearstock. So the other thing I want to tell you is that it's that time of the month again. I have a new Go RVing blog that came out last week. And I, I just love writing for Go RVing because they, they're so nice to me in that they let me really tell people's stories. And one of the things that's fun about writing, um, the girl camper profiles is they don't limit me and I try to you know tell somebody's story in like under 1500 words it's not always that easy but anyway this month the story is about Sandy who was on the podcast so Sandy was sharing her story for other uh, girl campers who are out there she's a single woman with grown boys and she hasn't let that stop her from doing what she wants to do in fact Sandy also got a tab. <laughs> I sense a theme happening here. Sandy got a new tab two weeks ago, and last week she took it to Cape Cod by herself. She visited friends along the way, and I had dinner with her last night, and she told me about her trip and just, you know, the freedom she felt at just being able to hook that little camper up and go and just... Uh, you know, just let the wind blow her where she wanted. She really went with no, she was, was going to the Cape, but she went to visit friends, but then she had no other plans. She got there and she, she did that thing. I always suggest, you know, she went to the local diner and said, okay, here's the regular tourist things, but what's off the beaten path? And so she had some fun there doing some things that not everybody does. And you know, being on the Cape on 4th of July weekend is a pretty crowded thing. So she found some great things to do on the back road. So anyway, that's all that's happening in our news roundup today. And I want to thank Little Guy Trailers, a proud sponsor of the Girl Camper Podcast. They make camping so much easier and more fun. But most of all, their lightweight and easy to tow trailers give girl campers peace of mind. There's so much safety and security there. And that's what you want when you're on the road. You don't want to have to worry about it. So go on over to littleguy.com and find out which trailer suits you, your car, your truck, or even your motorcycle. And there's a few girl campers with those. Take a look at their website. We'll be back in a minute with our campfire chat. Campfire Chat is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. If you're looking for fun and a road trip this summer and you like country music, then point your RV toward Wisconsin and start driving because they've got the Country Thunder Music Festival in Twin Lakes. Now this is running July 21st through the 24th, so you still have time to hitch up and head over there. The Progressive RV is going to be on site, and they do just so many fun things. You go over, you play pitch and pot, you get your picture taken with the cardboard flow, which I have on my refrigerator. 
I just like looking at it. Anyway, they have some really fun prizes and great stuff to do. And check that out at wisconsin.countrythunder.com and then stop by the Progressive RV and say hello to our friends there. So I want to tell you that last summer, all the New Jersey girl campers and our visiting friends from the north who kept coming down to camp with us we had it in our heads that we were going to perfect that cast iron skillet pizza. And I got to tell you, we've got it down now. I'm going to talk about that another day because this summer, it's all about the perfect steak. And we have been eating red meat every single time we camp. We're not even feeling bad about it either. <laughs> we're loving it. It's like we're camping steak. Yay. So we have perfected a few things that we think. Now, we had some steak problems at the beginning of last year, and we, we got, got a system down now. So I want to tell you some of the things we do when we're cooking the perfect steak, girl camper style. So number one, you cannot cook steak on propane. So it's all about the coals. It's my number one tip. And for me, it's Kingsford. Kingsford coals. And not only Kingsford, they can't be the self-starting kind. You cannot use lighter fluid. So pure charcoal from Kingsford. And I want to tell you something about charcoal. All charcoals are not alike. I didn't know this until I looked this up about charcoal. Charcoal was actually invented by Henry Ford. He was looking for a way to use the leftover wood scraps that they had from constructing automobiles. And in 1897, he invented charcoal, which is really dried out wood. They take the pulp of sawdust and wood chips and they heat it up in an oven at 1400 degrees. There's no oxygen in it. That's why it doesn't combust and, and just burn up. And then when they get this watery pulp, they add coal to it, and then they add lime to it. So when you see your coals go white, that's the lime. Then they add cornstarch to keep it all together. Then they put it in little molds to make the shape of briquettes. And then it goes through another drying oven and into your bag. So, <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating, really. So anyway, that's the history of charcoal there. But it's so important that you don't put lighter fluid on it because it's just infused into your food. It, it, it just is. I can taste it. So last year, we decided that we would get one of those charcoal chimneys. So the charcoal chimney is just that. It's a stovepipe with a handle on the side. And it's got a little lever in the bottom, and you fill it with two pieces of newspaper. You do not need a lot. Don't use anything heavier like a paper plate or some kind of scrap you have around because it won't light well. Two pieces of crumpled up newspaper in the bottom of that and then you fill it with the charcoal and then you light it on the bottom. And then you take that chimney and you take the grate off of your charcoal grill. I use the portable camping Weber grill. It's a Weber grill but very small and one sleeve of charcoal in that stovepipe works perfectly. It covers the whole bottom grate. So that's a perfect match for me. So you put that in the bottom and you just leave it there. 15 or 20 minutes, depending on how the air is blowing. If it's a little windy at the campground, it's gonna get that charcoal going a lot faster. So 
keep an eye on it. It's not the kind of thing you want to light and walk away. You want to make sure that it's going. There have been times I've had to add another piece of newspaper from underneath. It just didn't light evenly. So you keep an eye on that chimney. And when the uh, coals are mostly white, I dump them when they have a little bit of black around the edges, but they should be, you know, 90% white. And then the chimney has a little lever on it and you just pull it towards you and you pull the chimney up and all the coals go around the bottom of your grate. And then I take a tongs or something and I just spread them out in like one even layer. So um, the thing about the little portable Weber grill is that it holds that perfectly. It's just perfectly matched. But if you were using a bigger grill, like Sandy always brings this uh, big red grill, sometimes you need two chimneys. You can't make one batch and then make another batch. All the coals have to be started at the same time. So if you're if you're cooking out for a group, you may need uh, two chimneys. So I have my own, other girls have their own, so you gotta figure that all out. Okay, the number two tip is the grate. So the coals are in the bottom now, and now I wanna put the grate back on top, which I'm going to cook on. Now, in that Weber grill, there's only one setting. You can't move it up and down. Here's the interesting thing, it just, works out perfectly with that Weber grill. It, it has a real, because of the shape of it, the heat goes off and around. It has a very convective kind of flow to it. So the heat just moves that way all the way around. But when you have that grill that's adjustable, then you have to figure out the distance from the grill, the Weber grill, coals to the grate is just perfect. It just worked out that way. I guess the people at Weber had that figured out. But a lot of these grills are adjustable. So the Argentinian people really love grilling. So if you've ever been to one of those restaurants where it's just all meat and they're walking around in um, Argentinian clothes with skewers and giving you meat, <laughs> they have all this grilled food. It's so delicious. Anyway, if you've ever been to one of those, you know that these people know something about grilling. So the Argentinian test for whether or not the grill is, uh, the grate is at the proper distance from the coals, <laughs> it's not for the faint-hearted. If you can hold your hand over the grate, if you can't hold it there for three seconds, it's too hot, you feel like it's going to burn, your grate is too high or you have too many coals. So you would either have to raise the grates up if you have that option, I don't on mine, or remove some of the charcoal. If you hold your hand there for five seconds and you're still able to hold it there, your coals are not hot enough. So apparently, according to the Argentinians, four seconds is the proper time. <laughs> so hold your hand on top of that grate without burning yourself and if you can stand that heat, that means it's time to put your steak on. Okay, number three. Now we're off of the grill part and we're talking about the steak itself. You cannot take a steak directly from the refrigerator and throw it on a hot grill. You have to take it out and let it come to nearly room temperature. Okay, it still does have to be a little cold and you have to be careful with this with food. You don't want it sitting out in the sun. You can't take it out 
two hours beforehand on a 90 degree day. So I always take mine out about 20 or 30 minutes before I start grilling. I always marinate steaks. If I'm cooking a big London broil, I will have it in a marinade. I wipe all of the marinade off of it. So the marinade has a lot of sugar in it. And so if you leave a lot of that marinade on your steak, it just burns the marinade on the outside and you don't get that nice seared outer crust. So if I have marinated it, then I take a paper towel and I wipe all of the marinade off and I pat the whole thing dry. If I marinated it, I don't salt, pepper, garlic powder or anything. That's all. The marinade is in the meat. So that's all I do. Now, if I were cooking something like a New York strip steak or a T-bone, I usually only marinate if it's a big lunge broil and I'm feeding a crowd. If I'm doing individual steaks like a strip steak or a, or a um, T-bone, then I will pat the steak dry. It's very important that you don't put moist meat on the grill. You're not going to get that good sear and you're not going to get that sealed in charcoal-y, crusty crust <laughs> on your steak. So you pat it all dry, both sides. Then I just put, and this is up to personal taste, salt, pepper, garlic powder. Now, some people like a, like a steak au poivre and they put really heavy duty uh, cracked peppercorn. It's just a question of personal taste. So room temperature steak, pat it dry, salt, pepper, garlic powder. Okay, that's tip three. Tip number four, when you put it on the grill, leave it alone. It's so hard not to touch it, but you've got to set it on the grate and leave it alone. Now, when I'm cooking a big fat London broil and I have that for a crowd, for, I like medium rare steak, seven minutes on each side. That's the, that's the key for me. That's what I know. If the coals are right, everything's right, it should be seven minutes on each side. So you have to watch it. There's tips that you could know for whether or not your steak is done. Some people touch it on the top and it has a little spring. It's turnable. But here's the thing I have found to be true. And it's true of chicken too. When you put it on the grates and it sears on there, if you two or three minutes later tried, if, if it's padded dry, if you haven't padded it dry, this isn't going to work. If you've patted it dry and you put it on the grill and two or three minutes later you go to try to turn it, it is stuck to the grate and it will not budge. But if you wait three or four more minutes and you go to pull that with a fork and you see it's coming off of the grate, the meat is releasing from the grate, it's charred, it's cooked, that's time to turn it. It's built in. It tells you when it's time to turn it. Nature is incredible. So when that comes off the grate, flip it to the other side. I usually do one minute less on the second side than I do on the top side. So take that off. When you get that off the grill, then when you feel it's done, tap it on the top or do not under any circumstances, take a big steak knife and cut it down the middle to see what the inside looks like because you just ruined it. So you, you've released all the juices out of it and it's going to be dry now. So take it off. Put it on a platter, and this is tip number five. Once you take that steak off the grill, you have got to just let it sit for at least five minutes. 
I always put a single sheet of foil loosely on the top and just set it aside. That lets all the juices go back into the steak. And then when you cut it, it should be absolutely perfect. I always save that piece of foil too to wrap up the leftovers in. I'm frugal that way. <laughs> so those are my tips for the perfect steak. One more thing I want to tell you about. It's, it's almost absolutely sinful what we girls have been doing. I saw this on Bobby Flay last year in which he took, no, it wasn't Bobby Flay. It was Tyler Florence. He took a steak off the grill and they soaked it in butter. So we did this last year and it was awesome. So he took like four or five sticks of butter and put it in an aluminum tray with all these fresh herbs, crushed garlic, thyme, basil, anything they had, throw it in there, infuse all the butter with that flavor and then put that steak in in that butter bath, he called it, and let it soak in there for a few minutes. <laughs> I know, I wouldn't do that every week, but it was delicious. And then we took the leftover butter and put it on our baked potatoes. Okay, that's terrible. Okay, I have one more thing that I, I just remembered I want to tell you about. There's always a question about whether or not to have the lid on or the lid off when you're grilling a steak. And here's the 911 on that. I like my steak really charred and seared to the grill. With the lid on, you're going to be able to do that. If you put the, I mean, with the lid open. If you want that charred, crusty outside edge on your steak, leave the lid off. If you want the steak to cook really evenly, and that's where the convection really works, like in the Weber grill, which is a great way to cook chicken. But fast cooking foods like hamburgers and steak, you shouldn't need to put the lid on, especially if you got those nice white hot coals going. So leave the lid off if you want charred. But if you don't care about that crusty thing and you want it to cook really evenly, put the lid on and then the convection works in your grill and you should have a nice even cooking temperature. Those are the tips for the perfect steak. If you cook the perfect steak and you want to write to me and tell me about it, I want to know what your steak experience is. Maybe there's something even better than a butter bath that I don't know about. <laughs> we're going to be back in a minute and we're going to be talking about how to safeguard your trailer when it's parked. Not a subject that we like, but it's happening. Trailers are being stolen. We'll be back in a minute. This is a topic I really hate even having to talk about, but it's something big and it's happening and it's sort of a buyer beware kind of thing. So at least once a week, even more often than that, I'll see a social media post, please pass on this information about a stolen trailer. Stolen trailer alert. There's actually a Facebook page now for stolen trailers where people can post them and people can go and share those all over social media. And some of them have been recovered because of that kind of cooperation among trailer owners. But each year, 
thousands of trailers are stolen in the U.S., and although I was unable to find any real hard statistics from insurance companies on how often they are actually recovered, based on the many articles I read on this subject, it's not very often. And when they are recovered, more often than not, they have been ransacked and destroyed and all the valuable and not so valuable but sentimental things that you had in them are gone or destroyed. Last week there was an article on Facebook about a couple who parked their motorhome in the parking lot of a casino in Nevada. And when they came out several hours later, their motorhome was gone. It was recovered several days later, but it had been completely ransacked. And unbelievably, they were on their way to take the ashes of their parents and grandparents to disperse them in a place that was sacred to them. And they actually emptied the urns of their parents' ashes and strew them all over the trailer. So we're talking about people with very little conscience working. The top five insurance claims for RVs don't even include stolen travel trailers. This was very interesting to me. The top five insurance claims are, one, tire failure. That can cause a lot of trouble. We've talked about that on the show. Number two, fires in your trailer. Number three, (laughs) this is, I had a close call with this a few weeks ago, hitting low overhangs. Somebody with a big fifth wheel going under a bridge that tears the top of their uh, trailer off. Number four, the failure to retract the steps, awnings, and antennas on your trailer. You know when you're pulling out of the campground and it says steps up? Question mark. That is a common mistake. (laughs) And number five, animal infestation. So if your trailer is stolen and you report it to police... The police do not have the resources to send people out looking for your trailer. It's just not a priority. What they can do for you is take a report, and in some states they will place it on the National Stolen Trailer Registry, but the likelihood of recovering it is really small. And I discovered that these thieves have several outlets for what they do with these stolen trailers. And this was very interesting to me because... Sometimes when they're recovered, people just took it and partied in it and left it. But really, they're more organized than that. They are often stolen and then used as mobile meth labs. This is a really big thing. So they'll park it in the woods somewhere and use it to make meth and then just ditch it and move on and get a different one. The other thing they do is they take them into Mexico. I don't know how they get them in there, but... You know, I I would think that they would be checking them at borders, but taking them to Mexico is a very big thing. They also sell them to hunters as deer leases. Now, you have to wonder if the hunter is suspecting that this is a stolen thing, but once it's parked out in the woods and covered with camouflage, your chances of getting that back are very, very slim. The other thing that frequently happens is they are resold on Craigslist to unsuspecting people. And I read a very sad article about people who bought one on Craigslist. They were given a title. They were given um, a bill of sale. Of course, the person could not be tracked down. And then the police came and they found it. 
and um, they had to turn it over to the police. And, and they were living full time in it. So they had like an hour that they were given to get their stuff out of it, and the police towed it away. The police determined that they were duped, and so they weren't arrested and charged with anything, but they lost their money and they lost their home. So these thieves, they range from petty opportunist single individuals to really sophisticated stealing rings that steal really high-end fifth wheels and Class A motorhomes, but they all have a common quality. So when your trailer is targeted, they are looking for an easy mark. So you can do a few things that will help you not be one of these people. Because if they're determined to get it, they're going to get it. And there is really no one solid foolproof method that can keep your trailer from being stolen. But there are some deterrents and some things that you can do to help you not be one of these people. So I want to talk about those today and I want to start at the beginning with the low-tech solutions first. So how you park your trailer in your driveway really makes a difference. The first thing that you could do parking in your driveway is if it's possible for you to reverse it in your driveway, you should do that. Now my driveway is about um, 30 feet long and my trailer is 18 and a half from the bumper to the tongue. And mine is on a slight slope. I don't have the space in my driveway to use a trailer dolly to turn it around backwards. And I wouldn't do that because of the slope. Because if you're moving a trailer with only a trailer dolly, it could get away from you. You really would only do that if you own like a tab and you grab it by the handles and you spin it around or you have a trailer dolly in a very flat driveway and handy neighbors that will help you. <laughs> because my sister who lives in Southern California does that with hers. She lives in the valley and she has a very flat driveway. And when they come home from a camping trip, her next door neighbor comes over and between her uh, neighbor and her husband and her, they're able to spin the thing around inside their driveway. It's facing the wrong direction. So nobody can just pull up, hitch it up and, and pull away with it very quickly. So the second thing you can do is you can park a car in front of it, box it in. I do park a car in front of mine at night when I'm home for the evening because the trailers are stolen at night. It's not that often that it's happening in broad daylight. So when I come home at night, last one in, I make sure that the truck or one of the cars is parked in front of the driveway, in front of the hitch. When I do that, my car actually hangs over on the sidewalk, which is illegal, but so far nobody has complained to the police about that. So if you can park it in a way in your driveway in which it's being boxed in, that's a deterrent. They can't get to that quickly. Another thing you can do is when it's parked in your driveway, in between your trips, lower all four of the stabilizing jacks. Now, I don't have the electric drill bit or the battery-operated drill bit, so when I do my jacks, I have a hand crank, and I bring them all four down one at a time. It takes some time. If all four of those were down, they couldn't quickly pull that out of your driveway. So the less time it would take them to get it, the more valuable or the more of a target that trailer is for them. If they look at it and they think, oh, my gosh, I've got a all these deterrents on there, let's move on to the next one. So keeping all four stabilizing jacks down when it's in the driveway. 
Another interesting thing I read on a Tin Can Tourist article, and I never thought of this, and I'm going to put these links in the show notes because there was a couple of good articles. I enjoyed the one on Tin Can Tourist, and it said to lower the tongue jack as low as you possibly can, and then to put stabilizing jacks under the back of it. So when you're lowering the front tongue, the back end is coming up. Now, if you visualize this, you put stabilizing jacks in the back. When somebody goes to raise that up, if the stabilizing jacks are in the back, it's not going to go very far up. And you need to get that thing level or raised above the ball on your car. It's just another hassle factor for them. Something they would have to either get rid of the jacks or or raise it up higher. It may require a block of wood. It may require a jack to get the front end up. So that's a deterrent as well. Another thing that people talked about was to chain it through the chassis to a um, a loop in your driveway that you would install in your driveway. So you have p- picture a piece of really heavy rebar in a U that you would cement into a big hole in your driveway. So you would have to get like a post hole digger and dig like a three foot um, deep or more thing in a hole into your driveway, fill that with sacrete, put the rebar loop in it, let that all set up until that's solid, and then you would put a chain through your tongue jack and loop it into that loop with very heavy duty lock on it. So it's not that they can't get around that, but that would be one of the deterrent factors. So that's something to consider if you really live in a neighborhood or you've already had it happen to you once, that's something to consider. The last thing I thought of myself is to keep the slide out out. So I've been working on my trailer and making curtains and prettying it up and doing my girl camper thing. And I've had the slide out out in my driveway all week long. I slid it out and then I turned the battery off so it doesn't go dry. And so if somebody came and tried to steal mine, it wouldn't be very easy driving it down the street with the slide out out. So you could keep the slide out out. Okay, those are the low-tech ideas for when you park it in your driveway. Now there's another thing you can do, and that has to do with hitch locks. So hitch locks keep the hitch itself from being stolen out of your tow vehicle. So I have my hitch in the back of my tow vehicle, and it does have a lock. So where the pin goes and the little clip that holds the pin on, instead of that, there is a lock in there. That keeps my Um, hitch from actually being stolen because my girlfriend had her stolen one time when we were on a camping trip. We were all um, at an antique shop and she came out and she realized her hitch was gone. And of course we were camping and she had to go out and buy one in order to tow her trailer home. So I suspect that someone just took it in order to cash it in for melted uh, metal. So that keeps my hitch lock on. But there are other hitches that actually keep your trailer from being hitched up to a different vehicle. So there is a hitch lock and it goes on your coupler. So where the receiving end of your trailer is, where the ball goes in, they basically have created a portable ball that goes up inside of that and it has a very heavy duty steel loop that comes around it and then you tighten it as tight as you can get it and that does then lock. This way, nobody could hitch up 
that to an actual ball. Now, I have heard many people say that this is easy to get around. Depending on the quality of the hitch lock you bought, sometimes they can be just um, sledgehammered off with one good lucky whack. So the other thing they do is they just use the chains and tow it to a place where they could get the hitch lock off. They don't care if they're towing safely. Obviously, they're thieves. So they just use the chains loop that over uh, onto their tow vehicle, get it to a place where they can work on it, and get that off. So there's a difference in the kind of quality of hitch locks, and you really have to spend money to get ones that are going to work the best. They also have something called a wheel lock. So, you know, if you're in a city and you get too many tickets that you don't pay, the police come along and they put a boot on your car? Basically, that's what these wheel locks are. It's a boot for your trailer or car tires. And it locks around the front and back of a tire, and it prevents the tire from rolling. So these range in price and quality as well. So there's two schools of thought on one on this. So first of all, there's two different kinds. There's just an inexpensive kind that latches around and it it doesn't cover your lug nuts. It just latches on, it prevents the wheel from spinning, it has a lock on it that locks with a key. That is gotten around, uh, the thieves get around that one by just removing the tire, taking all the lug nuts off and taking the tire off, and sometimes your own spare is sitting right on the back of your trailer, like mine is. My spare tire is right on the back. So they just remove the lug nuts, take the tire off, use your own spare to tow your car away. So you get up in the morning and find your trailer in the drive, or trailer gone, and a wheel in the driveway with the boot on it. So there are some people who still use these, but what they do is they buy four of them. Some of them are very inexpensive, $20 each. So for $80, you can buy four of these and lock them on all four tires. Every time you go somewhere yourself, you have to take four of them off and put four of them on. But it is a big deterrent. That's a hassle. And thieves are opportunistic. That may be enough to just say, look, they've got a combination of deterrents here. They've got a hitch lock on the front of the ball and or the receiver, and they've got these four um, tire wheel locks on the tires. They may just move on to the next guy. It's a combination of things sometimes that's the winning factor for you. The other kind of wheel lock they make is one that covers the entire, it looks like a saucer, and it covers all of the lug nuts. So these are much more expensive, and there's a couple companies that make one. I'm going to put some links in the show notes. Some of them um, are one-piece constructed and very expensive, but they also say it is a deterrent. There's no guarantee. This one is much more difficult for them to get the tire off, and you shouldn't need to buy four of these. One of these should do the trick. Lastly, there is something called lug nut locks. So you can remove some of your lug nuts, lug nuts and put a lug nut lock on it. It's basically a lug nut that has a special wrench attached to it. If you put lug nut locks on four different tires, it would be very difficult for them to get the tires off if you had the wheel locks on them. So again, 
another deterrent. There's absolutely no system in place right now that just prevents thieves from taking it, but it is something the RV industry is addressing. Some of the newer trailers are going to be wired for GPS now, and it's going to have something on the roof, but that's not quite here yet. Now, I want to direct you to a website. There are GPS devices. We just talked about the low tech things, but there are GPS devices that will also track your trailer for you, just like when you lose your iPhone. But the problem with them is they have to have a battery. They have to have a source keeping it charged. And they don't have one right now that runs on a battery that would last more than three weeks. So if you are a person who parks it every single weekend, and that or during the week when you're done traveling and changes out the batteries every single week, they can't always be picked up by GPS too. It has to be in a window or someplace in which it has a signal to the satellite. That's not always easy because a thief will see that and take it um, down, disconnect it. There was a great article on thisoldcampsite.com on what's happening with GPSs, and I'm going to direct you to that article. It's very interesting. The GPS tracking system isn't quite there yet where it could be on your vehicle and used at all times, but he wrote an interesting article about a new uh, system, and it's a vibration detection system. It senses vibration, and when it does, it calls three phone numbers and sends emails. So if you park your car, this man's car or trailer was stolen from a storage locked that was locked. So they figured out that it was stolen sometime on Sunday evening. So after much research, he found this device. It's a vibration detection system. There are also GPS detection devices for trailers. Their problem is that they need to be wired. So they need to be hardwired. If you hardwire it to the battery in your trailer, just like you have the smoke detector in your trailer, you can't leave that battery on while you're parked because it will wear out and it'll shut down. So there's not a charging system that is in place right now to keep these things running at all times. I would think there would be possibly some kind of solar thing that could keep them running, and the RV industry is working on that. Anyway, I'm going to direct you to this article on thisoldcampsite.com on this new system this man bought after his trailer was stolen. And this is a vibration detection system. So when he parks it on Sunday night, he has fresh batteries in it. And and you just have to be willing to change these batteries every single time you park it. But if this trailer senses any vibration, the company that it's connected to, in which you pay a monthly fee, sends out immediately three phone calls and sends emails. So if you're at home and your cell phone rings at two in the morning and it says your trailer is moving, you know that you can call the police. This isn't foolproof either. If the police can get over to the place, I mean, it's already moving when the detection goes off. So the police would have to get over to the lot that you have it stored at and and try to beat them to the punch. So there's no foolproof system yet, but this is an interesting article on the technology for GPSs and where they're going. 
I hope this helps you in some way to know what your options are for protecting your treasured trailer. Our sister on the fly friend had her trailer stolen about a month ago and she did not get it back. So it's very rare that you do get it back. Here are some ways in which you can help prevent that from happening to you. We'll be back in a minute. to thank my sponsor progressive insurance and little guy trailers little guy trailers wants to help you get into the great outdoors they're a proud sponsor of the girl camper podcast and they want you to live free and be a girl camper i'm going to be with the little guy folks next week at tearstock and i look forward to reporting to you all about their lightweight beautiful easy to tow trailers what everybody's buying where they're going what they're doing and all the cool accessories that come with it. If you haven't taken a look at Little Guy Trailers, go to littleguy.com and check them out. I want to thank Stephanie Puglisi, my producer, for putting this show together. Stephanie and her husband can be heard every Wednesday on Campground of the Week and every Friday when they co-host the RV Family Travel Atlas podcast. I'll be here next week. Happy trails!